my name is Mark Jennings. I'm a member here at South Shore Baptist Church and an elder, and, and I have the honor of serving on the preaching team uh, for this summer. Well, it's, it's finally here, right? It's come upon us, the sabbatical, right? It's been on the radar for a little while, and now we, we are here. And and sabbaticals can be somewhat disconcerting. You know, we've uh, been coming, you know, week after week, month after month, year after year, and, and we have uh, Pastor Jeremy's steady, constant, trusted leading and teaching of the Scripture. You know, we, we've come to, to love it. We've, we've, we've come to trust it. We've come to submit to it. You know, we've, we've, we've known every Sunday, you know, what we... Can we lie upon? Of course, certainly there are those moments where you come to church and you realize, wow, it's a guest speaker Sunday. You know, you, you, you almost immediately think, I wish they would put that in the bulletin the week, the week ahead of time so I would know. You know, I know. I've, I've sat where you sit. And, 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 and now this summer is, you know, guest speaker summer. Right? It's not just guest speaker Sunday. So sabbaticals can be a little disconcerting. I actually have my own little personal paranoia with sabbaticals. About seven years ago, I had the honor of being on uh, the uh, preaching team for Jeremy's first sabbatical. And, and you know, the, the summer started out fine and well and good. Uh, as a, and then as the summer progressed, some things started to happen in our family life. And then all of a sudden, one week, one week after I gave the last sermon of that uh, sabbatical summer, our entire family moved halfway across the country. About four years ago, uh, we were living in Wheaton, Illinois, and our pastor went on sabbatical. And, and I had the honor of being on the preaching team for that uh, summer sabbatical. And as things progressed through that summer, one week after I gave the last sermon of that sabbatical, the family packed up, and we moved halfway across the country. So you'll forgive me, I hope, if I'm a little bit apprehensive about being on the preaching team again for, for this sabbatical. But they can be. They can be a little unsettling. There's change that's involved. But I, I want us to embrace this thought as we enter into the, the next three months. I want to encourage you to just wrap your, your hearts around this, that God is still God. And that his word is still his word for this church. In fact, as the preaching team and and Jeremy, as we were discussing what to preach, what to uh, look at uh, this summer, uh, there was full agreement that we should continue working through John. Because you see, the Lord didn't place on Jeremy's heart that he needed to preach John. What was placed on Jeremy's heart was that John needed to be preached. That John was the message that this church needed to hear. So I I just encourage you, church, let's embrace that this summer and continue to hear from the Word of God. So turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 37 to 39. You'll you'll find that on page 1058 if you're using a pew Bible. John chapter 7, and we'll be looking at verses 37 to 39. 
verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? Those of us who have been working, you know, through John, who have been, uh, you know, studying John with, with Pastor Jeremy, uh, these words of Jesus sound a bit familiar. Listen to this. This is from chapter 6. It's verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Or perhaps, listen to these words in John chapter 4. This is when Jesus is meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well. Verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water, referring to the well water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And of course, today, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. Sounds familiar, right? We, we, we hear this throughout John, these, these words of Jesus. And, and you know, what strikes me is the, the imagery, the, the language that Jesus constantly goes to when talking about himself and talking about the relationship between him and his people, the metaphors that he employs. You know, he, he uses... These, this language of bread and of drink and, of course, of, of, of new birth, he uses these essentials of life, these fundamental, fundamental necessities to talk about this relationship between him and his people and, and who Jesus is. You know, he doesn't say, you know, I am the amuse-bouche of life. You know, I am the appetizer of life. Right? You know, he doesn't say, I'm the after-dinner mint. Right? He says, I'm the bread the language is striking. Yet, you know, if, I, if I'm honest, a lot of the time I compartmentalize Jesus. He's, he's not the bread of life. He, I, I literally treat him as the, the Sunday on top, you know, the cherry on top of the Sunday. What, what's the measure of a good man? You know, you ask me that question, and, and a lot of times I will, I will answer it in terms of, well, is he a good father? Is he a good husband? You know, does, does he have a good, stable job? Does, does he have, you know, economic stability? Has he made good decisions? Is he generally patient, not, you know, giving over to a temper real quickly? Is he a good conversationalist? Does he, you know, is he enjoyable to be around? Is he pleasant? You know, I'll have this huge list of what makes a good man and, and a similar list for what, you know, constitutes and comprises a good woman. And then if... This person also happens to read the Bible a little bit, go to church on occasion, maybe throw a few coins in the offering plate, all the better. Right? But it's sort of what rounds out the good life. Yet Jesus, when he talks about himself, that is not the language he uses. He doesn't talk about how he rounds out the good life. He's the bread of life. He's the drink so these words that we hear in, 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 in chapter 7 are, are, 
are remarkable because of the, just the metaphor that's employed. Even when and where he says it, I find interesting. You know, he says this on the last day, the great day of the feast. Now, we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. Jesus has been in, in Jerusalem. He's been at the festival, you know, the festival of booths, right? the festival of tabernacles. And, and, and the when and the where matter here. Because uh, at this festival, as you recall, this was a, a celebration that Moses, you know, in Leviticus had commanded the people of Israel to do. It was a seven-day festival that they were to continue to do and continue to observe where they would remember how God brought them out of Egypt and brought them through the trek in the wilderness and then into the land that he had prepared for them. And so at this festival, this festival of booths, this festival of tabernacles, uh, the Jews would create these temporary lodgings, these booths, to, to remember, to, to commemorate, to celebrate the full dependency that they had on God. You know, that how God had brought them through such, you know, humble and, and, and meager environment and had prepared them, protected them, cared for them. And, and, and so this festival was a means for remembering that and celebrating that. And it was also a, a time where they would look forward to the continued provision of God, that God would continue to provide, uh, you know, for his people. And it's in this festival that there was one ceremony that would get performed that I think is very um, apropos for our message today. The high priest during this festival would take this gold flagon and he would go to a pool and he would fill it up with water. He would fill it up with water to remember when God provided the Israelites water during the wilderness and how God continues to provide water and, and makes the land fertile. And he would fill up this pool, fill up uh, from this pool this, this water and he would walk and, he, and he, would, he would hold this out. And as he was doing his walk into the temple, the people would surround it. And they would sing songs and they would give thanks. And they would just offer honor and praise to God. And, and the other priests would have some uh, rituals they would perform. And then the high priest would take, you know, this, this uh, you know, canister, this golden canister of water, and just pour it out onto the land as a gesture, as a, as a symbolic gesture of, you know, the Lord will provide the water. It is here. It is, you know, with this environment ringing in the ears of the people that Jesus stands up and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The when and the where of this statement matter. Jesus isn't just on a whim uttering these words. He's saying it at the very ceremony that is to look to God and remember God and praise God for his provision. Jesus says, I am the one who brings the water. I am the one who brings the rains. What you are celebrating with this ceremony points to me. It's quite a, quite a setting to make these words, to say this statement. Now, looking at his words, you know, they're interesting. And one of the things that strikes me is the simplicity of the structure. There's an invitation followed by a promise and then a brief comment or explanation about that promise. It's a very simple 
structure. And, and Jesus gives this invitation. He gives it to the crowds. He gives it to the masses. He gives it to everyone. And there, there seems to be a very openness to this invitation. There doesn't seem to be you know, any um, you know, sort of necessary qualifications. You, know, you don't have to be Jewish to accept. You don't have to be you know, a good a temple-going, you know, religious, obedient person to accept. You, know, you, you, you don't have to be of a certain age in this invitation. You don't have to have your life in order. You know, Jesus doesn't say, you go halfway, I'll meet you halfway. You know, there isn't any sense of, you know, once your family dynamics are straight, come. Or once you finally turn the corner on addiction, come. Or once you've gotten a grasp on the depression that you're suffering from, come. You know, there doesn't seem to be any pre-qualifications. You don't have to be from a certain family. You don't have to be of a certain age here. You don't have to be, you know, um, you know at, a, at a point in your life that it makes sense. You don't have to be economically stable. You don't have to be, you know, morally right and straight. It seems to be a very open invitation. It seems to be. There is actually a prequalification. There is something that must be in place to accept this invitation. This invitation doesn't go out to everyone. Notice the language. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. There is a prerequisite. You must be thirsty. It doesn't say, just let anyone come. It says, anyone who is thirsty, you must be thirsty. Thirsty. This invitation goes out that Jesus gives to the thirsty. Now, thirst, uh, I've been thinking a lot about thirst when I was preparing this message. It's an amazing word, thirst. Very simple word, and a little monosyllabic word, kind of fun to say, thirst. And, but it, it carries so much meaning. If you think about the word thirst, I mean, thirst is, is, is a want, but more than a want. It's a desire, to thirst for something is a desire, but it's even more than a desire. It's the desire to the point of need. When you thirst for something, you are desiring your internal motivation to the point of need. Think about our bodies. You know, when, when we thirst, when we are thirsty, we need to get a drink. You know, thirst is sort of the... The, the warning light of our body that tells us we need to drink. You know, when we're thirsty, it's just, woo, woo, woo. You know, we have to drink. We become aware that we are thirsty. Right? God has made our bodies so that we are aware that we are thirsty, which is great. Isn't it great that we are, we are made and constructed to be aware of thirst? It would be awful if we had to sort of have, you know, like when you get your oil changed. You have that little tag, you know, on the car that tells you the next time you have to have your oil change, and, and it always smudges. Right? And so you, you, you never, uh, is that a five? Is that a six? I'm sure it's a six. You always go a little bit further. Part of, you, part of you is sure that they, you can go a little bit more than what the mechanic actually says you can go on an oil change. And thankfully, we're not like that. 
Our bodies tell us we're thirsty. We don't rationally decide to be thirsty. We don't have on our to-do list. Okay, when I get up this morning, I need to mow the lawn. I'll do that about 10. And about 1 o'clock, I need to take, you know, my kid to baseball practice. About 5 o'clock, I need to get the grill ready. About 8 o'clock, I'll be thirsty. About 9 o'clock, it's not on a to-do list. We don't decide thirst. We don't just sit there and go, what am I going to do today? I'll be thirsty today. That sounds like a good idea. We're just aware of it. We don't rationally decide. We don't reason, I'm going to be thirsty. We don't open up a book of human, human anatomy and physiology and after studying the book, going, closing, going, I get it now. I get it now. Thirsty. You know, we just are. We're aware that we're thirsty. Now, you, you could be saying, well, Mark, I can make myself thirsty. I can decide I'm not going to drink. I have some control over this. I am just going to not drink, and I'm going to make myself thirsty. Great. You're going to prove my point. Because once you make yourself thirsty, now try to unthirst yourself. Now try to say, I'm not thirsty, I'm not thirsty, I'm not thirsty, and see how far that gets you. Try to rationalize your way out of thirst. Try to mentally tell your body, not thirsty. You can't. You're aware of your thirst, and and there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can decide to unthirst yourself. It drives you to get a drink. Your body needs a drink. This is what Jesus is talking about. You who are thirsty, come and drink. You know, everyone who has, you know, put their faith in Christ... Everyone who has believed in Jesus. There was, there was a moment in our lives when we became aware that we were thirsty. That we didn't used to be thirsty. And now we became aware that we are thirsty. We are thirsty for something. Now, now, maybe the thirst was a small little trickle of a thirst. Maybe we didn't even know exactly what we were thirsty for. But all of a sudden, you know, we recognize that our hearts and our souls were dehydrated. You know, that we were parched in our heart. We were thirsty for something. And, and this, this thirst, this thirst was this recognition that we couldn't quench our thirst. It was here. We were aware of it. And, and with this thirst, we become aware that we are bent and broken. You know, that we are undone. This, this thirst that uh, this, this, you know, opened up in us, that God, we, you know, gave to us. This thirst was a thirst that we didn't have to be this way, that something was wrong with us, that there was evil in our heart, and we wanted to be different. We didn't want to be the way we were. So we have this thirst, and, and we want to try to quench this thirst. And, you know, we, we try. We try to, you know, drink from the different uh, offerings of the world. We drink, you know, from the, from the mug of pride. You know, we drink from the, the flask of success. We drink from the glass of pleasure. We would drink from all these different drafts. And it never, it never worked. It never satisfied Because the drink that we were imbibing on was not appropriate to the thirst that we had. 
because the thirst that we had was this thirst for forgiveness, for full forgiveness, for full atonement, for full peace, for full hope, for full joy, for full love. The thirst that we had, the world could never meet. It was an inappropriate drink. It would be like, you know, being thirsty and deciding, you know what, that that transmission fluid, that'll do it. That's liquid. I'll just drink that down. It didn't work. We were, every time we tried to quench this thirst, we were pouring barrels of sand into the desert of our heart. Because the thirst we had, the thirst that God gave us, the thirst that God gives us is a thirst for God, is a thirst for Christ. That's the drink that is appropriate, this thirst. So Jesus says, anyone... If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. What's it mean to to drink Christ? Well, Jesus answers, whoever believes in me. To to drink means to believe. When you you drink in Christ, you are believing. You, You are believing that he is the drink appropriate to your thirst. You are believing that Christ and Christ alone is what will satisfy this thirst. Now, what's interesting, and this has maybe happened to you, where you, you're a little bit thirsty, you crack open a bottle of water, and you, you take a drink, and you're talking with your buddy, and then all of a sudden you look down, the bottle's completely empty. And you say, wow, I didn't realize how thirsty I was. That's what it's like. You don't even realize how thirsty you are. You just start to drink a little. You, you just start to, to, to come to church a little. You start to read the Bible a little. You start to have those conversations with your family members or your coworkers or your friends or your neighbors. You, you just start to drink a little. And the next thing you realize is how thirsty your souls really were. You just want to keep drinking in more and more and more. This is what drinking in Christ looks like. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Now, when we drink in Christ, understand we're not sort of drinking in some sort of holy gooey ectoplasm, right? That that kind of just coats, you know, the insides. We're not drinking in a substance. We're not drinking in an experience. You know, we're not simply drinking in a a few set of statements. You know, we we are drinking in the Lord of the universe. We are completely, he is completely filling us. His spirit, his spirit is coming in and tabernacling with our hearts and tabernacling with our souls. He he is, he's not just fixing us. He's not, his spirit doesn't just come in and fill in the gaps. We become new. We are a new creation. When we drink in his spirit, his spirit comes in and dwells with us. It is one of the amazing miracles that God takes his spirit and says, I'm going to live there. He lives in our hearts. Now, there are a couple results. When we drink in Christ, 
The first is we are satisfied. When you believe in Christ, you, you are satisfied. The drink is appropriate. We, we saw this in, in John 4. We saw this, you know, with the, Jesus and the woman at the well. Anyone who drinks of this will never go thirsty. I have a nine-month-old. His name's uh, Harry. Good little kid, you know. Really easygoing. He needs to be. He's, he's our third kid. We, we don't have time right now for a high-maintenance kid. And, and you know, he, he really just goes with the flow. The only time he'll, he'll cry out is you know, when, when he wants to drink, when he's thirsty. And then he'll just, you know, you know just completely just, you know, let go and just start crying. You know, ah! you know, so, you know, dutiful parents, we go, we get the bottle, we make up the bottle. You know, we bring the bottle to him. There he is in his crib, you know. Just, ah! And then, you know, he'll open his eyes just briefly and he'll see it. He'll see the bottle. And, I mean, there is a complete metamorphosis. Because all of a sudden, it's like, (gasps) you know? I mean, his eyes are as wide as can be. Every little bit of nine-month-old coordination that he has is now directed towards one purpose. Musket bottle. You know, he's reaching up for it. He puts his hands around it. And then then he brings it. He brings it down to his mouth. And ambrosia, right? It's... (laughs) Nirvana. I, he, there is full content. His, his eyes roll back in his head, you know. And, I mean, nothing else is going on in this kid's world at this moment. He is just drinking it in. He is satisfied. The, the need that he had was met. When we drink in Christ, when we believe in Christ, the need that we have is met. We are satisfied. It is, it is what we were thirsting for. But the second result that we have when we, when we drink in Christ is, is that there's, there's a movement that occurs. You know, Christ isn't like some you know, gigantic big gulp that you know, whenever we you know, drank a little, we just take a little sip and get back up to equilibrium. It's not just this placid pool. There is movement. Look look what John, look what, uh, you know, we see in in John. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Will flow from within him. Not just sort of fill up. Not, not simply and only satisfy, but will flow from within him. I mean, the picture is, is you know, that, that we are thirsty and we open the mouths of our heart wide. And, and, and Jesus is just, it says, believe in me. And he's just pouring himself into us. And as he's pouring himself into us, as his spirit is dwelling within us, his spirit like a river is flowing out of us. It's, it's just coming out. As he is coming in, he is coming out of us. And it's, it's rivers. I mean, the, the translation here um, says stream. And I go, maybe yes, if by stream you mean Mississippi or, or, or Danube or the Thames. But, you know, the, 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 the word that we have translated stream here um, is, is patamas. It's the Greek word patamas, which is the Greek word primarily used for river. It's where we get Potomac. You know, we get um, 
hippopotamus, which means a river horse. It's a little free Greek tidbit there for you that you can impress your friends. You know, but I mean, so the, the idea of this movement isn't just a trickle, but it's a flowing river that comes out of us. And one of the constants that Jesus always teaches and talks about is that that which is within comes out. Whatever is within us comes out of us. And a real salient experience of this a few months ago. I was at work, and um, I get this call on my cell phone. Now, I don't recognize the number. So I know appropriate New England cell phone protocol. If you don't recognize the number, you don't answer it, right? right? They will leave a message. You can check the message. Then you can decide if you want to call back or not. That is New England cell phone rules of the trade. So I don't recognize the number, so I don't answer it. Then I get a, a text from that same number. And the text says, Mark, this is Kim, my wife, I'm using Sonia, her coworker's phone. Can you please call me? So my first, my first thought is, why isn't she using her phone? So, you know, so I call her. I'm like, Kim, is everything okay? She goes, I've lost my iPhone. Now, my, my wife is at work. She works in the city. And that day she had to do a lot of walking around. And she had to be going different places. And, and, and somehow her phone had fallen out of her pocket. Now, there's this great program, this great app. It's called Where's My iPhone? Love it. And, and what you can do is, is, is I could pull up my iPad, and on my iPad I could put in, you know, Kim's information about her phone. And then it will show me a map with a little GPS locator that will be a little red beacon, you know, that will exactly point out where that phone is. You know, whoom, whoom, whoom. And so I put it up, and, and I see it. You know, I, I, I see where it's at. It's near, it's near the state house, and, and I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm excited. You know, right now, excitement is in me. One, for the technology, just how cool is that? But, but, but two, because we found the phone. You know, now I don't have to worry about, you know, we don't have to get another phone. We don't have to go through that problem of, of being with, you know, out of phone, you know, because we're so just, you know, leashed to our phones. So I'm so excited, you know, so I'm telling Kim, you know, you know and I'm very thrilled, hey, I found your phone. I know what your phone is. Okay, if you, you know, if you go just in front of the state house, you know, you go down this little street, once you turn the street on your right, two buildings down, I don't know what the building is, but I can tell it's two buildings down, should be your phone. Great, she says. So she goes over there, you know, and, and she calls me back. She goes, where is it? I can't see it. I'm like, she goes, I go, well, where are you? She tells me where she is. I mean, I said, you're in the right area. Just keep looking. Oh, wait, you know what I can do? I can, I can, I can send a, a tone. You know, that's even louder than the ring. You know, that's the old-fashioned way of finding your phone, which you called it. No, no, no. We've, we've gone next level here. You know, and I can send a tone to it. That'll make this loud, boom, boom, boom. That'll help. You know, so I send that tone, and she's like, I can't find it. And I'm watching this map, and I'm watching this little red pin on the GPS. And then the pin starts to move. I'm still okay. I, you know, now I'm actually... Relieved someone has found it. You know? you know, I'm not worried about someone using it because as a good New Englander, I have a passcode lock on that phone so no one can use it. You know? And so I'm not worried about that so much. I just want the phone back and I'm excited. You know, so now, and, and I'm relieved. And so now I'm sending, I can send a message that will appear, even though it's passcode protected, will appear on the face of the phone so someone can see it. 
And I send the message. I'm so glad you found my wife's phone. We've, you know, she's right there looking for you. You might see her. And, and, and I said, but, you know, call this number. You know, let me know. We'll come get the phone from you. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you found it. What's in me is gladness. What's coming out of me is gladness. The dot keeps moving. <laughs> and we don't get a response. And then, and I'm watching it, and I can tell this dot has now gone to government center. And then the dot disappears. Shows up again in Charlestown. They've gone underground with the phone. Now I'm not excited. Now I'm not uh, glad and relieved. Now I'm, I'm panicked. I'm worried. Yeah, and so I, I'm sending messages again, you know, to this person on the phone. You know, please, we have, we have baby pictures on this phone. My wife needs this phone from work. You know, if, if you're nervous about calling us or meeting us, just, just drop the phone off someplace. You know, we'll, we'll come get it. You, you know, please. I see this dot. This dot gets on a main street, goes for a little while, stops, goes for a little while, stops, Goes for a little while, stops. They're on a bus. They're clearly on a bus, right? And they're going to stops. And, and now I'm no longer panicked. Now I'm mad, right? Now I'm angry. And so now this anger is coming out of me. And now I'm sending little messages that are popping up on the screen. You know, it's like, you know, is it crowded on the bus? You know, I see you're at Washington Street. What's it like at Washington Street? I know where you are. We've called the police, you know. I've gone, I've gone anger, and anger's coming out of me. And then, and then I go to that point that, that is what, what Christians do when we're angry, right? We start that anger evangelism, you know, that, that anger spreading of the gospel. So now I'm putting in, don't you know stealing is a sin, you know, question mark, right? You know, that's what I'm doing, you know. And then they'll say, you know, but, you know, it's okay, sins can be forgiven, but I'm angry. I'm not, I'm not really witnessing, I'm just angry. We, we never got the phone back. You know, it was gone. But, you know, it was interesting because in a span of roughly, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes, everything that was within me at that moment was coming out of me. Like a river, it was coming out of me. It's the same thing here. When we drink in Christ, when his Spirit comes in, when we are reading his word, when we are praying, when we are, you know, talking about him to people, when we are talking with him, his spirit comes out of us like a river. We can, we can see it. There's this constant movement of him coming in and we are satisfied and we keep drinking and he comes out. You know, it's this very dynamic flow. You know, and, and what comes out of us What comes out of us isn't statements about Jesus simply being a good man or a good teacher or a good, you know, worldview. What comes out of us is that he died on the cross to save us from the desert of our heart and that he rose again. Look what what John has to say about the Spirit. In verse 39, by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that moment, the Spirit had not been given 
since Jesus had not yet been glorified. When John talks about glory and the glorification of Jesus, it's the same as when he talks about Jesus' hour or the time. When he talks about Jesus' glory, he's talking about the death, the cross, the grave, and the empty grave. When John talks about Jesus' glory, he's talking about his death and resurrection, that he, that he died because I was thirsty, and only he had what could quench that thirst. Only he had the full life. You see, that's why, you know, that's why kids, that's why parents are always talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. You know, those of you who have co-workers who simply won't shut up about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Or you have, you know, aunts or uncles or, or siblings, you know, or neighbors who just constantly talk about, you know, Jesus on the cross and Jesus rising again. It's because they can't help it. That is coming out of them because that is what is coming in them. That is what has changed them when they were thirsty. That's what we talk about. What is within flows out of us like a river. So what do we do with this? Well, if if for the first time you're feeling you're a little bit thirsty, if you're here and... And there's just a trickle of a thirst, a slight thirst, maybe a full-blown-out thirst. Maybe it's just a desire to be thirsty. Praise God. He is the one who is making you thirsty. If you're feeling this thirst, start drinking. Start drinking in Christ. And maybe, you know, for those of you who have know what it felt like to be thirsty and to believe in Christ, but you're looking at your life, and maybe you're like me, and you look at your life, and you're like, you know, I don't see the Spirit flowing out of me like a river. I don't see, you know, patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. And I definitely don't see me talking about the death and resurrection of our Lord. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to put a dam on that river. I know what it's like to stop drinking. Because what comes out of you changes. What comes out of me changes. When you put a dam on that river, when, 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 when you just stop drinking in Christ, and you start, again, you know, drinking in the, the quagmire of the world, I know what comes out. It comes out of my life. I start to lie a little more. I start to gossip a little more. I start to be angry a little more. I lose control of my tongue a little bit. I lose control of my eyes. I change. What comes out of me changes. Vanity comes out of me. I become, I become angry with everything. And, and because I'm feeling so unsettled, because I'm not walking in the Spirit because I'm walking in my flesh, I start becoming unsettled and I start to blame everything for my unsettledness. I blame my spouse. You know, you know, maybe you blame your spouse. Well, you know, if, if only they would not expect so much or if only they would give a little more and help out a little bit. 
You start to blame your spouse for the junk that you're feeling. You blame your kids. My life would be so much better. My kids are more responsible, right? You start blaming your kids. Maybe you go a little bigger, a little broader. You blame your boss at work. She has unreal expectations. He is playing such favorites. He knows what he's doing to me. You start blaming your boss. Start blaming your job. Maybe you go bigger picture. You know, my life would be so much better if it wasn't for this political party. If it wasn't for that political party. Right? We go bigger. I am so out of sorts because of this economy. Right? Some of us even blame Greece. Right? We blame Greece for our troubles because of their economic difficulties. We always blame something. It's our vanity and our stubbornness. We're going to blame something. And, and so we're blaming, we're finding fault, and we're drinking in that fault. We're like a dog just keeps going back to his own vomit, you know, just drinking it back in, throwing it back up. I know what that's like. I know what that's like. Put a dam on that river. If, if that's you, if, if the Holy Spirit isn't pouring out of you like a river, it's because you've stopped drinking. Start drinking. And church, we need to be praying. We need to be praying that there will be a great thirst that will move across the South Shore. If you have loved ones who have not come to Christ, pray that they will be thirsty. Pray that they will be thirsty. Pray that the, that the South Shore will be so thirsty for Christ. That is what is needed. Because he will give us this thirst because he wants to meet this thirst. You know, our God is a good and generous God. If you're there and you're thirsty, he offers you the greatest words you could ever hear. If you're thirsty, he gives you the most beautiful words you could ever hear. Come and drink.